down south. On this episode, we begin our season preview. Uh, Eric Fawcett and I are going to talk about the backcourt. Um, new point guard, Kyle Lofton. New backup point guard, Trey Bonham. Um, really excited about that position. More depth at wing than they've had in a long time. Uh, lots of like about the way this roster's been constructed, starting with the backcourt. So we will get into it. Hope you guys enjoy. With anybody traveling to homecoming, please travel safe. Uh, everyone recovering from Ian, you are in our thoughts and our prayers, and we are wishing you well. Um, thanks a lot, guys, for all the support of the show. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Uh, practice has started. They're hooping it up. In It looks like they practiced it at Zach Tech today, which is different. Um, and uh, yeah, season's underway. Todd Golden era underway, Eric. Yeah, I, I love it. I love a lot of things about practice opening and not just like, hey, it means the season's close, but specifically as to how the practice is being run. I think it's really cool that they've allowed so much media. Um, they've allowed guys to take video, which again, as I say this, I don't think some people will realize that like this, this hasn't really been the case recently. And this is um, just relative to a lot of teams in the country. This is something that I just think is awesome where it's like guys were sharing videos that were two minutes long from practice. Um Definitely didn't see that for a long time. And a lot of programs do not get that level of access. So that's really cool. Um, I think them practicing in exact tech is amazing. Like that's one of the things that, that I, I kind of truly um, believe is I think when you see some teams that, that struggle to shoot at home or don't shoot as well as you might think. And like, I, I think a lot of people have seen Florida's practice facility, whether in person or in videos. And those sight lines are a lot different from a practice gym to exact tech arena. And that's not, uh, that's not, that's not saying anything about exact tech or Florida's practice facility. It's just the fact of the matter is the sight lines are going to be very different between a practice facility and the arena you play your games in. So I like for a team that really struggled to shoot last year, I'm very happy that they're getting some, some work in there at exact tech. So uh, I, would like I, I love that love the access they're they're giving to media um, it's all good right now good vibes around the Florida basketball program yeah really are good vibes around the program I, I think we talked a little bit this summer maybe a lot of it I don't know um, about how it's really neat the way that Florida has kind of promoted the program given access to everyone that has really wanted access I'm quite sure that. You know, they've sought out some of this coverage, but they don't really need to do that much because like Matt Norlander said in his piece, I mean, it's a, it is a program that has like five final fours and has been to a lot of elite eights. And so the program still has kind of an aura around it. Bruce Pearl called Florida SEC royalty 17 months ago, 18 months ago. (laughs) So uh, that's not that old. You know, it's interesting. Speaking of Bruce Pearl, like the, um, the practicing and at Zach Tech. I'm wondering how much of that comes from his time with Pearl um, a little bit and not just his time in San Francisco because, you know, Pearl, of course, this week made a lot of headlines, at least in college basketball circles, by saying, I don't really care about my practice facility yet. We'll practice at Auburn Arena. Um, let's get NIL in place. We need that before you guys build that practice arena. So he's obviously very comfortable 
practicing in, in that cage that they call a gym. And, um, and it seems like, you know, coach Colton is pretty comfortable getting out in at Zach tech. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I think I'm past this, this phase of my uh, writing career, but once upon a time, I would sure, I would for sure be doing some kind of a study about teams that have practice facilities and don't, which would be of course more at the low and mid major level, as opposed to, you know, pretty much everyone at the high major level has one, but, uh, and their home versus away shooting splits, uh, I think would be really interesting relative to, of course, you would be able to tell exactly how much teams are at their practice facility versus being able to practice at their kind of where they play. But I, I do believe there's some correlation and I, you know, we'll be tracking that for another team. But, uh, I, I think that, uh, for, again, for Florida, I don't know how much they're able to practice at exact tech in, in recent years. And of course there's some obvious reasons why it's a build busy building for a lot of reasons. You want to keep it looking great and not having you know three hours of, of, of practices on it so uh and, and during the season it's like yeah how much will florida be able to do that um, probably not as much as now so just good to to get um get those guys in and hey i'm sure for like todd golden it's like pretty cool to be out there at exact tech and the coaching staff and um for, for those guys to be able to be out there and if you're like a trey bonham and like to be like hey this is you know this is going to be my house in, in a couple couple months like i think that that would be a pretty cool experience for for guys that uh are coming to the high major level or a place like florida for the first time so um i i, I would have to think that would play some kind of role i would tell you like if i was hired to florida i'd want to get out there and even practice on the on the main court but um yeah that's something that's uh that's pretty cool and, and then going back just uh what you said a couple minutes back just regarding Florida being so open to access to the media, there was also yet another athletic article that where Florida's coaching staff were prominently featured talking about analytics and how teams are using analytics in, in modern college basketball. And uh, of course, Todd Golden and Jonathan Sapphire were, were front and sen center. So um, I thought it was an awesome read. I would heavily recommend it. Um, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I can promise you, you will enjoy that read. So uh, I forget exactly what the title is, but yeah, I mean, if you go to the college basketball athletic and look at the, whatever titles about analytics, um, you'll see uh, prominently featured Jonathan Sapphire and Todd Golden. So uh, just to see like that many articles in The Athletic, whether featuring the Florida program or just like having them play prominent roles, uh, it's uh, yeah, pretty cool, pretty exciting for uh, what we thought months ago could be a rebuild year. Uh, it's not really the case. We're talking about a team that we think is going to be pretty good and uh, with a whole bunch of national excitement. Yeah, I was at a clinic um, <clears throat> last month uh, early September, had an opportunity to go to clinic here and uh, in the Charlotte area and um, got to chat with Randy Bennett a little bit, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, anybody that listens to, to our show knows that I don't know if Eric and I are even closet WCC fans anymore. Like, I think it's just kind of <laughs> out, out there that we appreciate the offenses that they run in the WCC. Um and I was talking to Randy Bennett and, you know, he said, ah, and I said, well, you know, I went to Florida and he said, oh, Todd Golden. And um, I said, yeah. And he goes, man, they have the smartest staff in basketball. <laughs> and I said, really? And he said, yeah. He goes, you know, Todd is whip smart. Uh, Jonathan Sapphire, super smart. He said, Kevin Hubday, just a brilliant basketball mind. And I was like, dang, you know, this is crazy. Um, it's a guy that, you know, but for Mark Few existing, would be kind of, you know, a surefire Hall of Famer probably. <laughs> so um, anyway, that's interesting. Definitely check out the athletic piece. Uh, they did scrimmage today apparently for a little while. Um, some reports, multiple reports on Twitter about that scrimmage as we record on Monday night. 
Uh, Colin Castleton, bigger, stronger, dominant. Um, freshman Riley Kugel to no one. Well, not to Eric Fawcett's surprise. Uh, apparently making lots of shots and making lots of plays. Uh, Niles Lane, a problem uh, on defense. And apparently very good at attacking the basket, attacking closeouts, which uh, I think was like the next step in the Florida basketball hour manual to <laughs> Niles Lane progress. Um, so some those are some early notes, I guess, Eric. Yeah, and I think at some point we'll get uh, Malik Grady on, and he was at a couple of the practices as well, and I know that he'll have a whole bunch of insight. Um, I would say if people didn't take in any of the kind of scrimmage stuff, I think it was Brendan Carroll who had just a whole bunch of uh, stuff on his um, on his page about what's going on at the scrimmage. I think that was the one I was reading the most, so I would just direct people to go check out his stuff. Uh, another guy we'll probably have on at some point um, while we're just talking about future guests. But uh, uh, I think that that was something to see uh, to see Riley Kugel um, playing really well by everyone's accounts. I mean, I, uh, I, I at some point here, I've got to start doing my you know preseason projections for all the incoming transfers. People always keep tweeting at me and, and uh, Matt, it's going to be tougher than ever this year. And honestly, most of that truly is because of the coaching change. And they're part of the reason I was so accurate with, with them was because um, I was pretty dialed into how Florida was going to play. And I'll have to kind of rebuild that knowledge after a year or two of, uh, of Todd golden. But uh, one of the things that I think is going to really mess up the projections is, is Riley Kugel, because I think how a lot of people kind of saw this year would be that, you know, here's a freshman who's might not contribute a whole bunch, kind of find his way and that get in. And like, you know, I don't know how, exactly how much I think Riley Kugel is going to play, but like if he ends up starting a game or two, does not surprise me. If he ends up being the first guy off the bench, doesn't surprise me. If he ends up being a guy in crunch time who's on the floor, doesn't surprise me. I mean, as much as we love mid-major transfers, as much as we love four-year college guys or now five or six-year college guys, and there is always like like experience matters and continuity matters, Man, if you want to win in the SEC at the highest level, you need NBA talent. And I think Riley Kugel is NBA talent. And there's just part of me that thinks like, man, this is a guy that could end up playing uh, a lot more than some people think on, um, I, which which maybe isn't the case anymore as he continues to play really well in practice. And I don't think people are going to be as surprised as they once were. But from a guy who obviously committed to the Gators quite late in the cycle um, to being like, oh, you know, there's not a lot of space, you know, not a lot of minutes available at the wing. Well, it's like, yeah, he might he might make that space because yeah, I just, everything I see from him gets me very excited. Yeah. Two quick notes on that, by the way, one um, Todd golden is in the Billy Napier school of I'm not recruiting you unless you can play <laughs> uh, right away, which I think we discussed at some point this summer as well. It's all a blur right now. Um, but so this won't be last year or the year before, or, I can't say the year before really because Mike Whitehan was kind of forced in, in December when things weren't going so well. So he just had to put all the freshmen on the floor um, that, that one season four years ago. But otherwise, um, you know, we've been hear whispers of freshmen practicing really well under White and they wouldn't get into the game for a while. Um, that's not going to happen under this staff. They're going to play – the guys that are ready to go regardless of their classification. So uh, I don't know if that was one point or two points, but we're just going to make it two. Well, I think one thing that has made it really tough for Florida freshmen over the last couple of years, and you could say, I think Trey Mann was a perfect example of this. And then Kwesi Reeves last year was a pretty good example of this. It's like, yes, it's very difficult for even very talented, very athletic players to adjust to college basketball, especially at the SEC level. 
And that, a big reason why is the style of play is very, very like if like even take talent out of the equation, the style of play that you're going to see in college is very different than most high school programs. Then you add in the fact that each one of the last several years, Florida has had to completely change how they've played basketball. Um, the offense hadn't, this was a couple of years in a row where the offense didn't work and they scrapped it and, and changed and went to something completely, completely different. So it's like, if Trey Mann spends the whole summer playing dribble drive that was destined to not work a few seasons ago, and he's trying to make that adjustment as a college player um, or from a high school to college player. And then it's like, oh, suddenly we realize that this isn't going to work. Now we're going to go play, you know, point series offense. It's like, okay, now that all that work that a young player did, now he's got to learn something completely different. Well, that's really hard. And then you also think about the defensive side of the basketball, again, especially with the Trey Mann year. It's like, okay, with uh, with Kavarius Hayes the year before, we're a hard hedge team. We're stringing out pick and rolls um, and then getting into rotation and Xing out. And then it's like, oh, well, that's not going to work with this new team now that Kavarius Hayes is gone completely you know new complete changes to the defensive system in some ways in some ways they continue to hedge ball screens and got killed for it but you know they're just I, I think that the fact that Florida has made so many changes during the season has disproportionately hurt freshmen because that was something that we even heard from the coaching staff last year where it was ultimately especially Quasi Reeves started to play well and they were just they kind of told us it's like hey like you know these guys just weren't ready to go they weren't fitting in we kind of had to take our time and it was like yeah, I, I get that. But again, it's just like those guys are going to have their ability to get on the floor stunted so much from changes in style of play and having to learn new systems where a veteran player is going to be able to pick up new systems a lot quicker. So I think that if Florida is able to come in with a style of play that they're already working on and have been working on and they continue to play that style of play into the season, it's going to be a lot easier for these freshmen to get on the floor. That's just something uh realizing kind of the, the the path that some of Florida's freshmen have had and their experience of Florida with these drastic changes to the style of play mid season um, to what, you know, hope, hope, hoping of course that uh, under golden, they come in with a style of play offensively and defensively that will work at the high major level. And these freshmen who have had a couple of months of getting used to it, will be able to execute that right away. And there won't be like a hard one eighty where it's like, okay, suddenly, sorry, Riley Kugel. Now you've got to learn Princeton. Um, Hopefully that doesn't happen, and that could be a lot easier. For <laughs> yeah, I don't think Kevin Huffday is going to change what he wants to do um, offensively <laughs> in in late December. Um, just a hunch that that they won't be installing a new offense in Charlotte uh, before Christmas. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to talk about the backcourt um, tonight. Don't get it twisted. Uh, the front court is sort of the the sun around this which this team's success i think will will orbit um largely because of colin castleton there's a lot to like about the way that san francisco used their bigs last year i know eric's gotten into that a little bit there's time for that um him and malik grady are going to do that show uh so i hope you guys listen and and enjoy it um tonight we're going to talk backcourt uh we're not going to start with niles lane although it was good to hear that like Florida decided in these scrimmages to just put Niles on the best scorer on the other side uh, immediately. Um, I'm already like waking up at 2.30 a.m. with cold sweats about like how I'll feel about Niles Lane guarding Keontae Johnson in January. Ooh. Um, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I hadn't thought about that one. 
<laughs> like it's just going to be such a weird moment for Florida basketball hour where <laughs> Eric and I's heads may explode out of either sheer joy or mixed emotions or a combination <laughs> of all of them. Um, but let's start at point guard. Um, and, and I will say certainly we probably will get an official number on the over under show later this month. Uh, but what I'll say is I still, even if Trey Bonham isn't 12, 13 minute guy, um, I think the best news for Florida is that Kyle Lofton won't have to be a 38, 39 minute guy. Yeah, that's, uh, that's gonna be pretty big. I mean, as much as I, or as we can evaluate Kyle Lofton's play, it's like, I, I just truly don't believe that any player is going to be maximized by playing 40 minutes a game. And um, that'll be made, obviously, like you'd think that any team is going to have a little bit more depth at the SEC level to not make that happen. But I, I hear just great reports of, of Trey Bonham and how he's kind of fitting in and how his skill is is very different than, than Kyle Lofton. And I think we saw last year, like Tyree Appleby, who... Uh, of course was a little bit of erratic for some people at times, but we saw his ability to, to hit big shots was uh, something the Gators desperately needed. And he obviously, you know, won a pretty big game for the Gators with his ability to make shots off the dribble and, and play at pace. And I just think in, in modern basketball, you need those guys. And when you look at Florida's backcourt, there's a lot of, really good defensive pieces. There's positional strength. There's um, really good decision-making, I think, and, and, and wisdom. But if there's one thing that Florida lacks at the guard position a little bit and you add in the wings as well, it's like shot creation and, and shot making. And to see how Trey Bonham was, was able to score out of the pick and roll. I just like, Oh man, it, it's hard for me to imagine him only being at nine or 10 minutes a game. And like, yes, I know he's undersized. Yes. I, well, I shouldn't say yes. I, I think he's going to struggle on the defensive end, but man, that, that ability to to create shots and, and hit shots, I, I think is going to be massive for this team. And what's going to be interesting as well is like, say we think he's going to play 12 to 15 minutes a game, which I'm not proclaiming now, but you know, if he is in that number, it's also one of those things. It's like, you know, where do you think those, where do you think those minutes are going to come? Because 12 minutes, if it's mostly at the end of the first half and, Midway, midway through the second is one thing, but is there going to be a situation where you need this guy in, in on the floor at the end of the at the end of a close game because he's got to make free throws, he's got to hit big shots, or he's got to create something against one of the many many good defenses the Gators are going to face? Yeah, no, and I think all that's good. And the other thing is is he's a good enough distributor in those situations where. Um, he, he draws defenses, but not necessarily contact. And that's okay because he's a good enough passer. And a, one of the smartest players, I think that Eric and I have talked about is intelligence with the basketball. And so when he draws defenses, it's not as huge a deal that he doesn't get to the free throw line a ton. I mean, he only his, his career best free throw per game is 4.3. So it's not like he has a super high foul rate, like Tyree Appleby got to the line a lot. Um, I think 150th or so in the country, which is pretty good number for a guy that is Tyree's size. Um, that's not really Kyle Lofton's game, but Kyle's going to draw more help defenders because of his ability to to see the game and get into the paint and his physicality. And then then he can make uh, those passes, which is how you end up averaging, you know, 5.2 assists in your career when you've never had a game where you didn't start in college, uh, which is one of my favorite. Kyle Lofton uh, statistics is that he's never come off the bench as a college basketball player and, and probably won't this year. 
um, either. Uh, so long as, you know, he's healthy and Riley Kugel doesn't decide he wants to play point guard and, and uh, turn out to be like, you know, a lottery pick or something really weird that none of us <laughs> think is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose this is also an opportunity to um, talk about Kyle Lofton who did just have, a, a minor injury. It sounds like he'll just be out, you know, a week and a half or so. So that was uh nice to hear that uh uh it wasn't anything major. I, I think some of yep. some of the one thing that was kind of thrown around right away was that it was a groin injury, which is definitely like scary to me because those groin injuries are something that just can be yep. so nagging throughout a season. And then kind of almost sounded I forget what the report was floating on Twitter, but it sounded like it was more of like a almost like a thigh contusion or, or something like that. Maybe, maybe I'm like, maybe I saw some bad info or something, but it sounded like it maybe wasn't a groin, which is pretty big. Um, but going back to the, the fouls drawn um, with like Trey Bonham, he was 143rd in the country in fouls drawn for 40 minutes on Ken Palm. So uh, someone who got to the line, you know, a good amount, the la last game of the season um, watching him in the, uh, um, against unc wilmington I, I think he had like 10 or 11 free throws i remember watching that game and yeah, and yeah it's just one of those things where it's it's uh it's it's easy points that the the gators will need and it's something too where uh it's going to be very beneficial to the gators who i think their strength will be on the defensive end to get to the free throw line and uh make it so that uh, they can get their defense set and that's um again something that i think hurt the gators in kind of recent years and kind of one of those things that compiled a lot of defensive issues that they like they did not draw fouls. They did not get to the free throw line and they just didn't have those that as many possessions as a lot of other teams where they could set their defense. So, um, and then it's also worth noting that Trey Bonham was an 83% um, free throw shooter. So he was also, also very good. But, uh, and then like you said, Kyle Lofton, um, yeah, someone who doesn't get to the line as much. I think that for him, it's, it's uh, kind of a matter of, and, and this will be kind of the most interesting thing to see about how he adapts to the high major level is that, you know, Kyle Lofton is not a plus athlete. I don't know if he's even an average athlete at the SEC level. You know, you can maybe debate that. But, um, you know, he's savvy. He's intelligent. He's shifty. But, you know, explosive, he is not. So I don't think he was right. someone who particularly had had that burst. And so I don't think it was any, like, I, I don't think it was him, like, shying away from contact or being, like, he's physically strong and you can see on the defensive end he's very aggressive. I, I think for him it's just a matter of, like, he's not someone who had that explosive first step to get by a defender and put them in a bad position where they had to foul um, or someone who could get to the rim so quickly that the help side was late rotating and fouling. It's like, I, I kind of feel like that's the, the why he didn't draw a lot of fouls. And if we're looking for something that could be like, oh, man, like, maybe there should be some – I don't want to say hesitation, but if you're looking for like one of the things that he will have to adjust to at the high major level, perhaps the fact that he didn't even draw many fouls at the A-10 level, because I don't think he had that burst. Uh, you know, that's that's something that, of course, now that he's at the SEC level against SEC guards, uh, yeah, that, uh, that lack of burst may be, uh, may be an issue at some points. Yeah, no, I think in, in games against teams with, with really, really athletic point guards, it's going to be uh, interesting. He certainly is a physical guard. Um, you know, mm -hmm. he, like you said, he doesn't shy away from contact. He's not going to be bothered by the physicality of the SEC. I just think when you're talking about, like, is he going to win a one-on-one? -on -one, uh, probably not. He's probably going to be more of a player that makes the right pass and the right read. Um, and it was a great point on Trey Bottom. I mean, that's, Bottom averaged 4.2 free throw attempts a game last year. Uh, I think I said 
Lofton's best year was four, two. I was wrong. It was four, six, but um, that was the last season he was healthy because uh, he played most of last year with an injury. So we'll see. I mean, I think you would take four, six from, from Kyle Lofton in the sec, honestly. And, and to Eric's point about um, bottom, you could say the same thing about Lofton. I mean, he's a career 82% free throw shooter. So um, those are always good things to see. Uh, I think Florida is, is in very good shape at the point guard position, um, which, you know, when Tyree Appleby hit the portal and, um, and, you know, we kind of were wondering what they might do. Uh, this is all really good news. And and that's before we get to Denzel Aberdeen, who, um, you know, minutes may be hard to come by for him, but certainly another player from the Orlando area that I think slots in more as a point guard on the roster. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. Like I, I know some people have said combo guard for Denzel Aberdeen. And, and I think it's easy to like, look at him physically, like maybe six, four, pretty good length. And like, he he's, he doesn't really have that prototypical, like low to the ground dribble, kind of like quick burst head up, kind of look to his game. But like when you watch him play with Dr. Phillips, like I, I really thought he was a point guard, like just watching him play, like, it's it's like yeah he doesn't physically look the look the type of a point guard um he doesn't have the most prototypical point guard game but like you watch him push the ball in transition you watch him make reads on ball screens or even just reads with with other players coming off curls and and just knowing when to deliver the ball like i i've no problem calling him like a point guard what you know what what that means at the high major level uh we will see i feel like the kind of consensus is that he is like slid in more to combo guard wing territory which like might be fair and if it's a player that's you know not a high four five star and he plays you know point guard um and is six four like maybe those are the players that do kind of naturally shift off the ball a little bit when they get to college so we'll see but i will say i thought there was a lot of maturity to his game at the high school level already and uh again someone who also kind of like not well as I'm going to say like Lofton, I, I probably won't compare their games in any more similar ways moving forward, but he did have a little bit of that like kind of methodical style of play kind of similar to Lofton. And I think that like for a player like Aberdeen, if he's going to be a point guard um, moving forward, uh, it, it's like, I, I think for him, a perfect player to kind of learn from is, is Kyle Lofton, a player who also doesn't have that like electric first step and is also just like a more methodical, make really good reads kind of player. So um uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely difficult for me to imagine Aberdeen um, getting minutes unless there's injuries or something goes wrong. But man, I hope I didn't jinx anything because I'm pretty sure I said that about, you know, Quez Glover and uh, Osai Osifo and Toon Gadkick the last couple of years. And, you know, look, look where that look where that got us. So hopefully I didn't just jinx us there. Well, look, I mean, you want a state championship as a point guard playing with Riley Kugel. Um, so, you know, I mean, he certainly is used to being in a backcourt where he's not, uh, the center of attention necessarily. He says that he's a point guard, like when he's mm. interviewed, um, he, or at least he certainly expresses a preference to play that position. And he played point guard for Southeast elite in his AAU team. So they can call him a combo guard if they want. Um, and maybe that's, but like Eric said, some of that seems almost more of a, what does he project as because of how he he looks um, from a fluidity standpoint with the basketball and his size? Uh, but I think I think he's certainly a guy who who could play point guard. How many minutes he gets, um, 
you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, honestly, because this is, uh, you know, as much as we said the front, as, or I said, I shouldn't put these words on Eric. As much as I said the front court is the key to this team, um, I feel like the back court is is pretty deep um, all of a sudden. And that's a credit to Todd Golden and Jonathan Sapphire and and the rest of the staff and their, their um, roster construction, which I think is kind of this beautiful blend of of veteran players and, and young guys like Aberdeen who can learn from a Kyle Lofton, even if he's not playing um, as Eric said, any other thoughts on the point guard spot? No, I mean, I'll, I'll say it's, it's pretty clear that the back, or I shouldn't say it's pretty clear that I, it's pretty clear that Colin Castleton's the, the best player on the Gators uh, and the most important player probably on the Gators. But I mean, just playing modern basketball, it's like Colin Castleton isn't going to get a rebound dribble down the length of the floor, get himself in his own position to score. It is still a guards game and someone's got to get him the basketball. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, if you want, like if someone wanted to say that the, the key to this team is the backcourt, I think that's totally fair because I think for 99% of college basketball teams, the backcourt is, uh, is the right, key right. because it's, you know, it's one of those things that, and even looking up and down college basketball last year, there were some, some really, really good post players whose teams didn't win because it's still in a lot of ways a, a guards game. So um, <laughs> seeing, <laughs> yeah, something, something like that. So I think that uh, um, it, it's, it's going to be pretty important to see like just exactly what Florida's backcourt is. And uh, it is nice with the depth, not just like, you know, traditional depth, but also just the fact that it's definitely a couple changes of pace between, between Lofton and Bonham, not even factoring in what, what Aberdeen could be this backcourt will not get outscored by 25 points by St. Peter's <laughs> in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, shots fired, especially yeah. after we picked Kentucky to win the national title like a month ago. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, shooting guard. Um, and we will incorporate wings in, in this conversation just so everybody's aware if, if I, if I say shooting guard, I probably won't say that very much because I don't know if anybody really uses that term anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, Florida combo guard, off guard, um, wing, whatever you want to call them, they aren't the point guards. Uh, and this is where Florida has more depth than they've had in, in a really long time. Um, and I think for me, at least, uh, it starts with, with Koasi Reeves, uh, who showed us some scintillating ability down the stretch last season. And and I think uh, you have to really think that he's got a lot of potential to boom this season. Oh, I think so. I think it's pretty much that he'd be the pretty much everyone's consensus pick for like who could break out this year. I think that was our pick maybe to a listener question a couple of weeks ago. And I, I of course, the fact that he was like a 20 point per game score down the stretch uh, last year for a couple of weeks. I mean, that kind of showed a little bit of it. And, you know, even while he did that, I think everyone kind of had the idea that when the ball left his hand, every time from the three point line, it was going to hit. And like, he definitely got hot, but it's like, you look at his overall percentage and it wasn't as, it wasn't indicative of what I think we all think he is as a shooter. And, and some of that is of course pedigree. Some of that is the way that like, even was like, man, when his, like his misses look good. And sometimes he had sh shots just like barely spill out after going around the rim a couple of times, which just like kind of makes you indicate that, that he's better than the three point percentage he finished with. And uh, the one thing that did lack a little bit too of his game was, was uh, the ability to kind of get to the rim off the, off the dribble. Um, if he gets any better kind of in that, 
kind of realm, it's like, okay, you can start to see why this is an NBA talent and someone that we think is an NBA player. So I, I think a lot of that too is, is confidence. I think that last year he kind of knew if he was going to get in the game, it was to space the floor and, and let it fly. And he didn't want to be someone who's going to make a mistake and turn the ball over. And I also just don't think that the offense that Florida used was particularly conducive to his his skill set. So if I, I really would love to see the Gators use him off some screens a little bit, I'd let for for both getting him catch and shoot opportunities, but also to get him go, getting downhill, like to get him off a curl or getting him a pin down where he can fade to the three point line and catch and shoot or curl and use that length and athleticism. It's just like the the apex predator in modern basketball is the big shot making wing. Um, and, and Kwesi Reeves has a little bit to, to of that to his game. And if it, it, it's, that's one going to be the thing. It's like, okay, is he going to turn into someone who might be a three and D player and, and become an elite role player? Or is he going to go to what we think he could be and be like, again, like an apex predator win at the NBA level shot, creating shot making wing. I, I think everyone kind of sees those flashes. So that's a player that like when the first game tips off and, I don't know if Quasey Reeves will be on the floor coming off the bench, but he's kind of the guy that I'm most excited to see, um, especially with how he can, how he finished the end of last year. I'd like to see uh, him coming off screens. If Florida gets interior touches for Colin Castleton too, because I know, and I don't even know if, if Eric and I disagreed on this so much, like we both thought that there was a fundamental schematic problem with the way that the ball was entered into Colin Castleton a lot. And I think that sort of led to this divergence of thought about whether Colin was an effective passer. My argument was always, it's hard for him to be an effective passer in that scheme. It's not really about Colin. I think he can pass like Johan Masowski did for San Francisco last year with the two assist a game. Like those are numbers I think that are obtainable for him, Eric. Um, And one way I think they're obtainable is if you can get Kowasi Reeves off the ball, on a screen and just having him attack with Colin Castleton pinning someone down. Like those are pretty easy buckets and assist. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things where you look at the teams in college basketball that are the best at using their post players. It's, it's a lot, it's get the ball into the post and cut through and relocate or more accurately with the best teams. It's get into split action and get some split cuts and, and maybe find a guy for a layup or hit a wide open three. And it's like one of those things where it's like, even with the best post players in the country it's going to be like the the best shot is still can you turn that post up into a wide open three or a layup off a cut so it's i just i hope i hope really hope we see the gators kind of got to use some of that stuff i i think again you look at richmond and you look at you know college basketball's nikola Jokic and grant golden um who if you haven't seen play was just the an excellent passer from the high post made kind of richmond's whole offense work like i don't know if the gators are going to be running that princeton like like richmond did but uh they were so effective because golden was a guy who could score a little bit but the actions they ran off him just made for like really easy passes to cutters for layup or really easy just shovels out to three uh, out to the three-point line and you look at Kwesi Reese someone who the Gators should be looking to generate downhill drives for him or cuts or wide open three-point shots it's like that could very much coexist with we want to play through Colin Castleton and we want to get Colin Castleton touches yeah another player that could really coexist with that is Myron Jones in my opinion and and we we stick with Myron here uh, because still, I think with him back, uh, Trey Bonham can shoot it out there for sure. Uh, but Myron will probably be the one that logs the heavy minutes and and maybe shoots the highest percentage from deep. I, I don't think you're going to see Kawasi Reeves shoot 37.9% from the field again. 
uh, as a, like he did as a freshman, which is instructive given how good he was down the stretch. As Eric said, it was hard to believe that, that his field goal, overall field goal percentage was that low, but some of it, as his father would readily tell you, was about his sort of hesitancy to attack the basket and some things he needed to work on. Um, I don't know if Myron is necessarily, I mean, we know he has as controlled a floater game, I guess, as one could possibly have. Uh, if you like that shot, Todd Golden won't. Um, so <laughs> I think I think it's going to be catch and shoot Central Station for Myron. Yeah, so he's someone, and I know we've had this conversation a million times on the podcast, so we'll have it a million and one. But when you look at the success he had at Penn State, it was all about <laughs> them using him off screens, um, getting him sprinting into dribble handoffs where he could immediately pull. And then for Florida, they just never gave him that kind of utilization. And and I think that when you see the shots, like, you know, he comes to Florida as a 40% three-point shooter. And I think people are like, great, he did that at Penn State in the Big Ten. Um, that means you can pencil him in for 40% at the SEC level. It's not like he's a mid-major player taking a jump. Right. But then when you look at the shots that Florida got him, they were completely different than the shots that he got at Penn State. So if Florida wanted him to be a 40% three-point shooter and thought that it was going to translate for Penn State, it's like you got to get him the shots that he's kind of proven he could make. So uh, I, I am as, – as much as you know, we were tough on him on this podcast, it's like I, I, I think we have a lot of sympathy for the fact that he was – put into a role he maybe wasn't destined to be successful for it um he's he's someone that of course like as soon as Todd Golden got to Florida he was very positive towards Myron Jones he talked about how kind of important he was going to be and all all that and I I think I kind of have joked that I don't know if it was like truly what Todd Golden believed or if he was just being a, a motivator which I would never hold against him it's like hey this is your guy now yes you've got to be positive you've got to be a motivator so that's what you should do if you're Todd Golden but I am there is part of me that still under like still wonders exactly what what role Myron Jones is, is going to have or, or if he's going to be the first or second or third or lower than that option offensively was on the floor it's it's really interesting he's just a funky player he's got a funky jump shot even the way that he's he's a he's someone who shot 40 percent from three whose best shot isn't just an open catch and shoot jump shot which is just bizarre like there's a lot of uniqueness to myron jones game and um it's it's something that I could just see this this season go a lot of ways because there was also so much variance to the way he shot the ball from game to game, which we talked about lots on the podcast. And even in the way that he kind of like salvaged his three-point percentage to a not abysmal mark by the end of the season because, again, we know he's streaky. So, like, does he have a cut, hot couple of months? Does that happen at the beginning or the end of the season? Like, it, it, it might be a little bit with Jones that you just got to ride the wave. Like, if he's on a hot streak, he ends up playing 28 minutes a game. And if he's not, you play him 12. Like that could also be kind of story for him, but he's a fascinating yeah. player that I think, um, yeah, I think just a, a fresh start with a new coaching staff is probably like exactly what, exactly what the doctor ordered there. Yeah, no, a uh, new coaching staff and a new offensive scheme. And another thing that I think you have to think about is when he isn't shooting well, because Todd Golden is more in the like Eric Spolstra school of I'm going to start my best defenders. Uh, you know, you're right. I think that 12 minute thing, just a number you're throwing out there, but that sounds right. Uh, I think it's 10 to 12 minutes if he's 0 for 3 out the gate one night, because he, when you stack up that set of guards and wings, I don't know if he's at the bottom defensively, Eric, but he's pretty close. Um, mm. You know, we don't know what Riley Kugel is uh, defensively. I can guarantee you it's a work in progress. 
<laughs> um, because every freshman that scored a lot of points in high school and is a top 50 player, I shouldn't say every, but almost every freshman struggles defensively uh, when they get to college. Riley Kugel probably will. But after that, I mean, Myron Jones was an adequate defender in, in the Big Ten uh, on a team that played zone on 28% mm. of their possessions. Great um, and so now he went to Florida and we saw that that was an adjustment for him in the SEC, which is not as good a basketball league as the Big Ten. Sorry, that's my take, but uh, it's definitely a more athletic basketball league. Yeah, it's one thing I love about uh, about the podcast that he does. Um, I think they just did their like first episode in like seven or eight months or something. I, I hope that Myron Jones ends up podcasting more this season, but yes. uh, a, a couple of times, you know, first when he came to Florida and practice in Florida, then a couple of times during the season, he's talking to John Harada or Hara, I forgot who says last name. I said it wrong there. I'm blanking, but anyways, he was a Penn state big man. And, and something he talks about is just like, man, like these sec dudes are, are no choke athletically. And like, they're, you know, this his, John Eskilis was like, oh, like, you know, you think you can, you know, tell a bit of a difference. He's like, no, you can tell a major difference. It kind of like joked about, how, you know, <laughs> everyone on the floor was was more athletic than, you know, than everyone that was on that Penn State roster. So anyways, it's like, yeah, it's it's major difference. And uh, again, for for Jones, who got himself in, well, I shouldn't say got himself in within Florida scheme was like, hey, you're the low man tagging this pick and roll that we're stringing out and allowing <laughs> the ball to get into a deep post touch. And then it, it was like, OK, like, you know, what's Jones supposed to do in that situation? So at the same time, it's still like his physical limitations and athletic limitations are his limitations, like no matter no matter right. what. And that that doesn't you know, guys who aren't as athletic don't get to play by different rules. But I am also interested to see. Florida's pick and roll scheme, particularly because it was one of those things where playing certain uh, teams in the SEC, they were like, we're going to put Myron Jones in a position. And that was Noah Locke before Myron Jones, where, where there was teams that said, we are going to make that guy have to tag a pick and roll that we know we can get the ball to 10 times in a row and see what happens. And that was a successful way to attack the Gators. And that was kind of the, the book for, uh, you know, a couple of, couple SEC teams. So uh, yeah, for, for Jones, it's like when you've got these kind of unique, bizarre skill sets, these guys like, like scheme and fit uh, matter more than anything else. It's like, you know what? I think every team in the country probably would have taken, you know, Riley Kugel, that kind of athleticism. I think if Kwesi Reeves stayed in the portal, I think, every team in the country would have taken that player and it would have been a fit Niles lane, probably the same thing. Yes. Offensively, you know, it's, is what it is, but defensively he would have fit in any kind of system. Myron Jones is not that kind of player. He's the, the scheme is going to be massive for him. And uh, it, it makes kind of one of the makes for one of the storylines. I think we're all kind of excited for the first time we see how Florida plays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I still think he's going to start, but we'll get into that on a future podcast. Uh, because you know, the, those are fun conversations to have. And I think we kind of shifted based on some of Golden's rhetoric as, as Eric mentioned, it, it kind of sensed that, that Myron Jones, the, the senior, the super senior was going to get an opportunity to, to start at Florida this year. Um, we are on, uh, FBH fanboy Niles Lane, a guy that, uh, first of all, let's go ahead and, and promote the Almanac. Uh, the Almanac again, um, the digital college basketball magazine brought to you by uh, Field of 68, our friends at uh, Three Man Weave, 
our friends at He Check College Basketball. I think Verbal Commits might have been involved in that too. I'm not totally sure about all yes, that. Yes, that is correct. Okay, see, there you go. I mean, they they pretty much like lined up Dream Team too, at least um, in terms of like <laughs> who you could assemble to to get a college basketball preview out. I highly recommend it. One guy they didn't talk about a whole lot with Florida was um, was our boy Niles Lane, and that fascinated me a little bit just because he was a top twenty five on ball defender in college basketball last year. Uh, I guess maybe his minutes didn't qualify, um, which would make sense. Um, But I think when you start thinking about Todd Golden's defense first philosophy, and then you start thinking about the defensive upside of this Florida basketball team, to me, it really starts with Niles Lane with Kwesi Reeves making a little bit of a jump defensively, which I think we started to see at the end of last season, which is a credit to Mike White. Um, and then I think, you know, Will Richard and his like plus size and physicality off the bench, Florida has a chance to be pretty nasty on the perimeter, Eric. Yeah, I think so. And, and, uh, there's some things to clean up. I think with crazy, like I didn't I even mention Kyle Lofton. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and yeah, well, that's just a given. You don't need to, you know, question, even t- mention his defense. That's the, the stall word. We know we're going to get there, but I, I think with like Reeves, there's still a little bit of like some of the fundamentals. I thought he just got way too low and wide in his defensive stance, which just kind of like took away from his athleticism, took away from his leg. I think there's some little things like that that need to be changed with him. But um, yeah, with Niles Lane, I, I mean, first of all, I have, a funny well i don't know if i should share the story uh, uh one of the editors working on the uh the sec I'll, I'll, it is an editor because it's not the person who wrote the article though it was indirectly but uh lo- long story short the, the the guy who was editing the the florida at slash sec part of the almanac messaged me and essentially said in so many words that he had not watched a lot of florida basketball in recent years because uh they he did he just didn't think florida basketball was a very good watch so when it came to things like <laughs> Nile, and and i think that with when it comes to someone like niles lane it's like yeah you've got to be watching games and and again that's not like me me being a purist i understand like there's no way that someone writing the sec is going to be able to watch 30 games from every team in the league to have a, a great feel moving into this year but i think that for people who, for people to not really know about Niles Lane and his impact, I totally understand if you weren't watching every single college or Florida game. And you could also say this, you could have watched 25 Florida basketball games and you would have hardly seen Niles Lane on the floor. Oh, so, you know, you know what I, you know what I mean too? So like, that's, oh. that, well, I'll kind of, I guess I'll also defend the guys there, but yeah, we saw the last couple of games where Niles Lane was really unleashed. Um, we know that we know what he is on the defensive end, but even offensively when he was a lot more comfortable and assertive and well, I say a lot more comfortable slightly more comfortable I, I still think he never felt like he could totally be himself offensively um so when we saw him be slightly more comfortable and to do some things with the ball we saw the passing ability that we saw a little bit from him as a high school player um and of course we just saw that physicality and explosiveness when he got to the rim but um it's it'll be really interesting to see like you know like let's just say Niles Lane does struggle again shooting the basketball and I'm not saying that I'm that that's for sure going to be the case um, I'm not saying I predict it, but like if he does struggle or he's a below average three point shooter, how much you'll be able to get on the floor. And I think that you could also add in what if what if Kyle Lofton struggles to shoot, which he's kind of done his whole career in it, which I'd be a little bit more comfortable saying there's a guy who's not going to be a plus shooter. And then you start to say, well, how many, you know, 
not good shooters can you put on the floor at once? Like that could almost be something that affects Nels Lane. It's one of those things. It's like if Kyle Lofton does what he hasn't done and is suddenly a 38% three-point shooter, then maybe there's more space for someone like Nels Lane if he doesn't shoot. But it could also be the case where it's like, hey, Nas, like, you know, you not shooting might not be a, as huge a problem on its own because you bring so many things in other areas. But it's like we, we've got another non-shooter in, in Kyle Lofton or not, or not a non-shooter, not a great shooter in Kyle Lofton. We've got, you know, we just can't have this many guys in the perimeter who can't can't shoot it. So I think that'll be kind of really interesting to see. Yeah, I think that the the big question really with this whole backcourt is, you know, we talked about Myron Jones and and how I, I still don't I just don't think offensively in the hub day scheme that he shoots 32.1% from three again. Um, you know, I don't know necessarily if Kwesi Reeves three point percentage kind of hovers around 33, 34. That could be. Um, but I do think his overall field goal percentage will be well above 40. So you'll get more out of him. The, you know, this makes me, I like, I almost feel like I should shoot Malik Grady a text message and tell him that, you know, it took me a long time to come to Jesus, but I'm starting to wonder if the offensive wild card with this whole backcourt is, is Will Richard, the Belmont transfer. <laughs> I can tell you this, you know, Malik will be, uh, will be messaging me if, if something like that happens. I, I think I was, you know, some of the backstory was when, when Will Richard came to Florida, I thought it was a great get, but I do think he was talked about in a way that was, I guess, just inaccurate. Um, for starters, you know, you talked about how you didn't like the term shooting guard, but like a lot of people were like, oh, here's a shooting right. guard, Will Richard. <laughs> and what I don't think, a lot of people realized who like, man, that was a, that was a rough conference this year. I'll tell you, I, as my, you know, we like to build up a lot of mid majors be like, Oh, this is a, you know, this is an underrated league. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Ohio Valley was, was, was not an underrated league this, this past year, <laughs> but Belmont was really good. They were really good. They but, were, but, um, but Will Richard was someone who played a lot of minutes at the four and he was someone whose job was to set a lot of screens and, and slip to the hoop. And he was a great offensive rebounder, but he was not someone who was good in, pick and rolls he was not a very good catch and shoot player so i kind of push back on a lot of people are like oh like you know he's a shooting guard he's gonna a lot of people were like oh this is a for sure starter and and i kind of just really push back i'm like man this was a, a ohio valley six foot five which i also think it's interesting chris harry keeps mentioning that he's six foot four which i also thought was interesting so we'll say six foot five is also generous but we're like hey good for him because his rebounding and block shots and seal numbers are fantastic but yeah i mean he was kind of a you know, three, four in the Ohio Valley who wasn't very good off the catch and wasn't very good in ball screens. So it's like, is this, is this a combo guard? I would say no, but a lot of people are like, oh yeah, this is a shooting guard. So, so again, that was kind of the start of the summer where I again, pushed back on a lot of what Malik Grady kind of said, especially when he had him as like always a two within his depth charts. But the other thing too, that I have to remember, and I think <laughs> I lost sight of it a little bit is that, yeah, he was a freshman. Like, Man, we've seen yep. some really, really good freshmen play a play not very well at Florida and all across college basketball. There are a lot of really, really good freshmen that were that were not very good in their first years, and their role was completely different in year two. And Will Richard had a great first year. And what I'm even saying too, it's like he was very effective at what he did. It wasn't like, oh man, if only like he was a very effective player offensively, despite not being good in ball screens, despite not being able to shoot the basketball very well. Like, like I mentioned earlier, he played the four and was undersized, but his rebounding numbers were awesome. He blocked a lot of shots. Like 
he was really productive and found ways to be productive while, you know, not showing prototypical guard skills, but he was a freshman and he did what it takes to what it took to win. And Belmont was a team that was in the at large consideration for a lot of the season or a good chunk of the season or a chunk of the season. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so calling him the, uh, the X factor, um, just like after we talked about how Myron Jones, the kind of fit and scheme and how he's utilized is going to be big. Uh, you could say some of the same things for Richard, but not because he's a unique talent, just because he's more of a jack of all. He's like the anti Myron Jones. He's good at a lot of things, but not great at any of them. He's not a, he's like the anti-specialist. So how he gets utilized will be really interesting. Yeah, no, it will. And he's not as athletic as Niles Lane. So I don't think there's quite as much defensive upside there. Although you have to be impressed with like 63 steals in any league as a freshman. Mm. That's a really nice number and a number that's probably going to increase, I think. And a willing passer. I mean, 1.8 assists per game is not bad uh, the way he was utilized. And a lot of those were he, st- he could have had higher numbers, but they had a great shooter named Will Shepard who shot 37% from deep last year after shooting like 42 the year before. So, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Um, the point being that, you know, I think it, some of it will be how he's utilized, but he, he can move the ball, which I think will help Florida offensively. Um, he can create transition buckets, which will help Florida offensively. Um, and I think the other thing he does really well or did really well for a freshman, albeit at the mid-major level, and this is where you talk about whether it translates because he's not as athletic as, as a lane is he was good at getting to the free throw line and drawing contact. I mean, there's a guy that, that took 26 minutes a game, but still took three free throws a night. Um, that's not a bad number for somebody that didn't have the ball a ton. Uh, and shot 80% at the line. I mean, Florida has a chance to be a very good free throw shooting team too. Yeah. That'll certainly be uh make things a little less stressful at the end of games. Um, after some of the last seasons, oh, but, goodness. Um, and, and something you've said a couple of times that yeah, I think is kind of worth noting is that, yeah, like it's, it's interesting because a lot of the NBA draft guys really like Will Richard and he does have like some plus length and, you know, he was listed at six, five, but now like, yeah, you know, we don't think he was six five, and I, I do actually love that Chris Harry like has sent a couple of just like not even said, just like casually listed as like Will Richard six four did this at practice. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, he is he's not a, he doesn't have great size for the NBA level as a wing, we'll call him. And yeah, like you said, he's not a great athlete. So I think that again, a lot of draft people can really see that he's got great intelligence, great feel for the game. And again, he's just someone who touched the game in a lot of ways. Again, as an undersized three four in the Ohio Valley steals rebounds block shots garbage buckets scoring off cuts like he did a lot of that but uh, he is someone that i do think that could become more athletic just looking at the kind of like fluidity to his game that is someone who i just wonder as a high school player who's you know played at a good high school good high school program and not an elite one you know went to went to belmont's a really good mid-major program but still an ohio valley program like he's someone that as he just gets older and also like gets some time with our with our guy victor who we know is going to put you know basketball athletic yeah. functional athleticism above everything like i do think he's someone who could become a little bit more explosive and that'll of course you know really help him even whether he is someone who plays more of the three or whether he becomes that kind of combo guard play at the two yeah, all uh, all really good points um, by my man Eric Fawcett, which shouldn't surprise really anybody. Um, <laughs> so, uh, last guy that we get to discuss um, on on the show because we got to, you know, 
Alex Klatsky, baby. How many? I, I mean, let's do. Let's preview the over under show right now. All right, Ooh. let's preview the over under show. Here it comes. Over under four three pointers made by Alex Klatsky this season. <laughs> I the man. I I would. I, I'm loving the Alex Klatsky buzz. I know a lot of people are so hungry for someone to hit shots after recent seasons. And I do think that, of course, with a lot of a lot being made of the fact that they might be starting players who perform really well at practice, regardless of stature in games or, you know, yeah, or whatever, I, I, I would have to go under um, with all due respect to him. Um, I just think, again, when you look at Florida's the, the way that the, the depth of Florida has at the wings, the fact that I do think there's going to be guys that can shoot the basketball that I don't think Florida is going to be a star for shooting. I, I, I would have to go under, but I, I better just throw it to you in case you've got the over and are going to tell me why you think he's going to be a, you know, regular part of the rotation. <laughs> no, I think it's under as well. I, I think he's going to make two, three pointers this year though, because the one thing I think he'll do that like, you know, the whole bench was yelling, shoot it at him when he was wide mm. open in garbage time a lot. And like Klatsky was like, I'm going to make the fundamental pass. And it's like, no, dude, you are out there specifically to shoot the three for the rowdy reptiles. And I guarantee you that Jonathan Sapphire and Todd Golden and this staff, Carlin Hartman, they will bench him if he doesn't shoot the three. Okay, I also have to make a point. I thought about this last year and, and didn't say anything. And I think this is like my most like wet blanket take I might ever deliver on the show. But, <laughs> but people, people chanting at or screaming or whatever it is when Klatsky gets the ball, like yelling at him to shoot is like mad disrespectful to me. Like I be and and I say that because like that's what you do to yeah, a guy yeah. that was a student manager for two years. And then because the guys love him and he worked hard, they threw on a jersey and they put him in with 12 seconds left in, you know, a blowout game where it's like Klatsky was a good high school player who could have played a good. lot of could have played at a lot of good really good division two programs, you know, had some division one interest. I think that was still maybe a little bit because teams knew he was probably going to be able to be a preferred walk on and was in a position that he might not use up a scholarship. But, you know, still like you know, he played with good division one players in high school and could hang. And I just feel like when people like come in the game and he get touches the ball and people are like, shoot, like to me, that's just like almost disrespectful to, to Klatsky. And maybe I am just being a wet blanket. And that is just something that's great about college basketball is no matter the walk-on status, you shouted a guy to shoot, but like, cause people just like wanted to see, I I'm also blanking on the guy's names. Like, uh, well, what you know, like you know, if they used to like we want Mac, we want Mac, and then he would come in the game, and then he they would like yell at him to shoot a couple of years ago, or like I, I I don't know, I just feel like Alex Klatsky is not your regular walk on. He's not like some you know student manager that just got his chance to like make a wish and throw the jersey on. He's a legitimate player, and I, I hope when he gets in the game, he's kind of treated like a regular player and not a walk on. That is my spiel. But Neil, am I just being? You know, am, am, am I being a wet blanket here is, or what, what's going on? <laughs> no, man, I like this take and here's why. Uh, and I'm glad that I was saving this for this, this Klatsky factoid. But so there was a game between Montverde and, uh, and Rainey in 2019 and uh, Montverde won. Um, but it was on ESPN. It was a heck of a game. 
And Alex Klatsky had like 15 points. <laughs> First of all, like he's pretty good. Uh, and so then the write-up, they were talking about how uh, Rainey had just beaten Niles Lane and Roselle Catholic. Uh, and in a write-up in at the Star, Le- what, the Star Ledger, um, it said, and then in, with the game, with the game in the balance in the fourth quarter, there were six McDonald's All-Americans nominees on the floor. With Florida commit Scotty Lewis, Villanova commit Brian Antoine, and St. Peter's target Alex Klatsky <laughs> on the floor for Rainey. Facing off against Florida commit Omar Payne, Precious Achua, and Balsa Kobervika <laughs> on the floor for Mont Vern. I mean, six McDonald's All-American nominees, baby, including... St. Peter's target, Alex Klatsky. This is why you guys listen to Florida Basketball Hour. You need to know that Alex Klatsky very well could have been making it rain against Kentucky in March last year, but he wanted to be a Gator. Yeah, that's amazing. That that's wild to think about that he could have been on that St. Peter's event. I, I was biking on the second. I was biking on the second walk-on name, but you know, do you remember? It was like 2018, 2019. People like we, like the tune section would like start to chat like, "We want Mac, we want Drew," because it was Mac Krause and Andrew Andrew Fava. And it was just yeah. like, and then, you know, and those guys get in the game. And as soon as they go to the bench, the student section goes crazy and are waving towels. And like, then they come in the game and everyone's yelling at them to go get the ball. And as soon as they get the ball, like, again, I do love that. And that's a great part about college basketball. And like, this is like guys that are like in the student section yelling it out that are like probably classmates of these guys. And that's awesome. And that's something that's great about college basketball, but it's just like, I don't know. I, I, I just, I almost think it's disrespectful to a, to a player. Um, and again, you even see like with Klatsky, like hearing like hearing him talk about what his workouts are like in the summer. And like, I, I know one of the trainers he works with. It's like, man, he's just doing legitimate work in the off season on like, like, like he, he thinks he can play at this level and, and thinks he can compete. And then he works like he's a, you know, rotation player at, at Florida. So I kind of hope that when the time comes that he does get in the game and Golden looks over and says like, hey, Klatsky, go get Niles. And he comes to the bench that like, People just treat it like he's a regular player. I, I, I don't know. And and I, I would be very interested to know what Alex Klatsky would like if he loves people screaming at him to shoot every time he <laughs> gets in the game and like loves the crowd erupting when he gets in the game at, when it's a 25-point spread with 40 seconds left. Like maybe he loves that, but like like to me, I, if I see him go to the bench this year, I'm just going to think like, hey, that's a regular player in Florida's rotation that's hopefully going to help the team win. It's just wild that he could have been playing in the, <laughs> in the Elite Eight. <laughs> had he not taken the road less traveled and <laughs> gone incredible and gone to Gainesville uh to play for for his beloved Gators. Um so yeah I'm going under but I do think he gets on the score the scoreboard this year. Um you know he only took two shots last season so I think he'll he'll fire some up and, and we'll see what happens. But that's our show on the on the backcourt. We um, appreciate you guys listening, and I'll let Eric sign us off. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts. <laughs>